He's a son. He's in the household. But he decides he doesn't like being under his father's house. And he asks for his inheritance early. You know, usually you wait until when the father passes away. And the other, you know, what I already mentioned about God. God, because he is a God of love, he doesn't force anything. If you choose to walk away, he allows you to walk away. But when he allows you to walk away, he'll have his Holy Spirit working on you all the time to come back. God is a God of love. God really cares about you. So, Jesus was a storyteller. He told stories and parables. And, and as we look through the parables, we can learn about the Father's love. That's what he came here to do. Part of the last day message to go to the world is to straighten out all the false doctrines that are out there in Christianity. And, and get the message to all those that are not in Christianity, the Muslims and and uh, Dr. Conrad Vine, whenever he gets back, um, he talks about that, how we got to reach these people groups that have very little exposure to the gospel. The gospel is really clear right here in this parable. God is a God of love. He doesn't force you to do anything. He allows you to walk away when you want, but he's always drawing you back. So his son says, I'm tired of being under your authority. In Christ's object lessons, it says, In his restless youth, the prodigal looked upon his father as stern and severe. So those who are deceived by Satan look upon God as hard and exacting. And like I said, there's doctrines out there within Christianity that make God seem like a tyrant. How about burning in hell forever? The, um, the, the gospel has been perverted. And because it's perverted, people don't want any part of it. But when people get the true gospel, that God is a God of love, and that he has joy in seeing you return, and that he's looking for you to return, and that he's using his Holy Spirit to, to impress upon your mind, hey, you know what, I thought this was going to be fun. And some of us might have gone through it. You know, I, I had a period in my youth, I didn't become an Adventist till I was 31. And I had a period in my youth where, you know, I grew up in Catholicism and I knew Jesus, but I turned away from it. I let, my, I let myself go for a while. But then the Holy Spirit drew me back in. He drew me back in and he drew me into more and more truth uh, through this church. So this young man says, I'm going to the big city. I'm going to go live it up now. You know, I'm going to buy now and I'll pay later. You know, we got these little plastic cards. I don't think they had them in that day. Uh, but we find out that eventually he blows it all. He uses up the whole inheritance. You know, you'll, you'll hear things like this, um, like professional baseball and football players. They make millions of dollars and they... They say the average of them are broke again within 7 to 12 years, you know, because they think it's just continual. You can be presumptuous on a continuation of a large salary. It happens at all different levels. 
Did you know that there are over one million runaways every year? One million runaways every year. Did you know that 5,000 teenagers per year are buried in unmarked graves? 5,000 a year. Do you know that adults run away from marriage and divorce? You know, we're always running away from something. We're always thinking that something, the grass is greener on the other side. And we're running away and we run away from God. Hebrews 11.25 talks about the pleasures of sin for a season. You know, you go out, you're having fun, and you realize at the end of the day how empty it really is. You know, when uh, John F. Kennedy, on November 22, 1963, he was in Dallas to deliver a speech. And they found in his pocket when he was shot dead a, his speech. And in his speech, he was quoting Mark 8, 36 and 37. It says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You never know when your last day is on earth. You never know. It can happen at any time. Let's go back into Luke and let's look at verses 14 to 16 now. So, but when he had spent all, there arose a, a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pool pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. You know, when you run out of money, we might call it a recession, a depression, uh, a famine, as it says here. But he finds himself feeding hogs. And then he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses. And that was the Holy Spirit working on him. You know, they talk about hitting rock bottom. And sometimes people need to keep going lower and lower and lower until they listen to the Holy Spirit who's been trying to reach them all along. We need to submit to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So he prepares a speech. Let's look at verse 17 through 19. So it says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You know, some would say, hi, Dad, I'm back. Did you miss me? Is my room? Can I still have my room? But this, this young man was coming to his senses. He was repenting. If Isaiah 51, 17 says, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. 
And so the father sensed his broken and contrite heart. When we come back, God expects us to turn around. Not to say, okay, I'll go get baptized today and I'll just keep doing whatever I want to keep doing. So he's looking for a change. And so he welcomes his son back. So he's got this speech prepared. Let's look at it again. Um, verse 18 and 19. I will rise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now verse 20 to 24. And he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He gets halfway through his prepared speech. He doesn't get the finish. But the father said to his servants, verse 22, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put the ring on his hand and the sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. God is joyous for any sinner who comes back. He's not just saying, oh, well, okay, let me check. Okay, I'll let you back in. He's joyous. He, he wants to throw a party. You know, there might be some time in your life, there might be a time right now in your life where you're struggling and you don't know and you don't feel the assurance of God's love. You don't know that if you walked out and... Uh, and left this church today and we're in an accident, whether you would be there at the, the first resurrection or the second. God doesn't want you to fear. He wants you to know that he has joy in every sinner who comes back to him. He wants you to know you cannot go too far. He can draw you back. I mean, you can go too far when you grieve the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit keeps working in your life. You know, if, if you even walked into the church today, you can't say that you're too bad because the Holy Spirit convinced you to come today. And we never know. We never know um, at any time when anyone is, is, is given a sermon where each and every one of us is in our lives at that time. So he couldn't get the whole speech out. His father stopped him. He didn't, he didn't even let him say, let me be a servant. He said, no, you're a son. You are not a servant. You're a son. And I'm so glad you're home. So God does not want to condemn you. He's not waiting to condemn you. So many people feel that. That's how they, they think. He's not waiting to judge you. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He sent his son to reveal his character through his son. He takes joy in forgiving you. He wants to give you guidance and direction. 
So never think you've gone too far. The Holy Spirit is, is, is leading you back. And God is open, open arms to welcome you back. So it tells us <clears throat> that there is joy in heaven when one person comes to repent. So, you know, sometimes, I remember hearing a story about when Mark Finley went to a series of meetings, and he was only one of two people who was baptized. And so the, the pastor, I think his name was Kidder, I'm pretty sure, um, uh, felt like it wasn't a, a successful evangelistic campaign. And yet look how Mark, me, my wife, many of you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Mark Finley work in Chicagoland, you know, and, and all through the world. So it only takes one person in any evangelistic crusade, in any sermon, to realize that God loves them and is calling them back and, and, and is, not going to, is not going to give you this big long checklist. He's just going to be so happy and he's going to forgive you if you're truly repentant. When uh, Billy Graham was in 1991, he did this many times obviously, but uh, I, I watched him do a, a, a sermon during an evangelistic crusade. It was a four-day evangelistic crusade. And one of the days he did the prodigal son. And I'll, I'll, to be, faith, to be uh, truly honest, most of what I'm telling you is from his sermon. Some is from Christ Object Lessons. Some is from David Asherick. You know, I'm not original. <laughs> but... Uh, but he was telling about a 19-year-old that sent him a letter after the series. And she said, you know, I never felt loved by my family. My father was a doctor. My, wife, my, my mother was a teacher. But I was the black sheep. You know, and I ran away from home. And I partied with the guys. And, and uh, I never really truly felt loved. My older brother actually raped me. And my other brother used to beat me. So I don't feel like anyone loves me. So she saw that Billy Graham's coming to town. And um, she said, I ain't going. That's ridiculous. But then she found out at work that she had been assigned to be um, there for uh, emergency care. She was a nurse. She was assigned for all four nights from her job to be there in case that someone needed emergency care. So after Monday night, she was still mocking him. She was coming back to work the next day and saying, oh yeah, he's a bunch of balonies, you know. Same thing you always hear, you know. After Tuesday night, she's, she's, She's there, but she's listening, and, and, it's, and, and it's, starting to, it's starting to open her mind. After Wednesday night, she's starting to feel conviction, but she still doesn't make a move. But on Thursday night, she decided she's going forward. 
You know, Billy Graham always calls people forward. And if there's somebody here, at the end, I will call too. If there's somebody here, not only if you feel like you've been away and you, and, and you want to accept God's love, but if you've also realized when you examine yourself, you've had some tendencies. I want to talk about the second son here too, here shortly. I'll get to that. But the second son was a good church member. He was there every day, right? He stayed through it. We'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. Excuse me. So, um, let's read verse 25. 25 through 28. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. Ellen Waite tells us in Christ Object Lesson that this is Phariseeism. You know, we can look around and say, well, that person's doing this and they're doing that. And, uh, and this Phariseeism never understood that the Son of God was there in front of them. They never saw his love. All they could think of, oh, he's running around with sinners and publicans and tax collectors. And uh, instead of opening their mind to hear the message and the love he was pouring out. You know, every time Jesus, every time he forgave sins, he called them out publicly. And Billy Graham says, and that's why he calls people out publicly. You make a stand, you're not afraid to say, hey, I needed, I needed to come forward, give my life to Christ, re, um, renew my commitment to Christ, renew my commitment to the Father. To, do I have some of those false doctrines in my thinking? You know, with, within Adventism, we can be legalists, okay? God tells us that, that we can have assurance, and yet you'll very rarely hear anyone say it in our church. And, and we're told not to go around saying, I'm saved, because we can, just like the prodigal son, we could walk away from it, you know. Um, but we also can have assurance when we know we're not walking away, when we know we do trust in God. We've learned to... We've learned to his character, we believe he's a God of love. We believe he loves us. And yeah, we still slip, but we can have assurance even though we're slipping. But, but we, we know God's character. We know he loves us. We know that he tells us we are sons and daughters, that we are joint heirs with Christ. So you can be sure now, I asked the, um, the deacons if they would pass out. I, I, I feel one sheet with some of God's promises, his promises of assurance. And sometimes I talk about them, and if people don't jot down what verses they are. So that's just a handful of them. I've, I've got probably enough to fill five or six pages. 
but I figured one page. Um, when, when we are done, we're going to be singing Standing on the Promises. So I wanted you to have in your hands, that's not the words to the song, that's some of the promises of God. And when God speaks, it's true. Don't doubt it. When he tells you, you can have assurance. You can have assurance. I've actually been amazed how um, in the Sabbath school class and in the first of the uh, song, the, the Blessed Assurance was the first song of the, uh, of the message, how the Holy Spirit brings things together even when we don't know it. You know, Melissa was talking about promises in, in Second Peter. And, and so I'm going to have you turn to Second Peter 3, verse 9. Second Peter 3, verse 9. And, um, and I'm going to have, Josh, if you can put the Sharon's picture up now. I found out not everybody has Facebook. And if you know, this is Sharon Moore 10 days after her transplant. She had a double surgery. I, I, I made the mistake of telling people it was a double transplant, but it was a double surgery, and so I still don't know any more details. But this was 10 days after the transplant. She took a picture, and she looks younger. She looks happy. She looks beautiful. And, and you know, sometimes our promises don't occur. Sometimes people waiting for a transplant don't get one. But God, we can trust no matter what. But I just thought some of you didn't get to see this yet. And Sharon's looking really, really good. And we'll be so glad when the Moors get back. And for those of you who aren't aware, Sharon's been fighting. She's been needing a liver transplant for years and years. And she's had terrible health. And now she's at the Mayo Clinic. And she got this double surgery, only the 36th time it has been performed in the only place in the world where this double surgery can occur. And, and she's doing well. Now, I guess there's still time for rejection, but it looks like she's doing really well. So keep her and her family in your prayers, too. But even if, even if things don't go right, as Job went through many things, we can trust God that he is a God of love. Jesus came down and died for each one of us individually. He is a God of love. And so our closing hymn, boy, we're close very early. If you're wondering how this went so fast, <laughs> a thief called me at 7 o'clock yesterday morning, 7.04 actually, <laughs> and said, Dr. Conrad Vine's concerned that he's going to be driving through a blizzard. And if you know, those two young men perished in the same road he would have been coming. And so uh, he asked if I would do the sermon. So uh, I got on YouTube and I found Billy Graham. <laughs> so if you want to hear the better version, get on YouTube and listen to Billy Sam, tell you. <laughs> so um, uh, when we sing Standing on the Promises, the, these promises in your hands, you might want to take them home. You might want to make a nicer version to put up on your refrigerator or something. You need, you need to understand God makes these precious promises. That's the other uh, 
the other verse that uh, she, um, Melissa went to also in 2 Peter. But anyway, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, if you'll turn to that, we're going, I, I'm, I'll go ahead and read this, and then we're going to close. And we're going to be out here before 12. Um, my daughter Kathy is graduating downtown today. <laughs> and so I told Lafif, okay, I'll do the sermon. But you got to ask everybody to keep it short and move it along. So I do, I do appreciate it. <laughs> and you get all get home and cozy before the snow comes down, too. <laughs> so 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's waiting. And so I will make a call right now. This is not just a call that, that, that you need to come and accept Jesus. This is a call that, have you seen in your own life where you're reacting some Pharisaic ways, that you're not showing God's love, that you know, if someone comes, comes off the street and their skirt's too short or something like this, are we gonna tell them to get out and walk out, turn around and walk out the door? Is that what Jesus would do? What did Jesus do when the woman was caught in adultery? He didn't condemn her, right? So I'd like you to examine yourself, each and every one of us. Only Jesus is perfect. Each and every one of us, at times, has in some way um, maybe hurt someone unknowing it because we thought we were right, but we didn't have the agape love of God. You know, our, man's love... It can mean all kinds of different things. But the agape love of God is this God who's just waiting for you to put the robe on you and hug you and have a party. So we're all looking forward to the second coming. But right now, as we sing, standing on the promises, if somebody wants to come forward and, and um, just pray silently to the Lord for whatever they want forgiveness for. I, I ask you to do that as we sing. So standing on the promises.